when Cam laid out this challenge, there were a lot of different ideas that uh, were circling in my head. Um, but uh, I, I wasn't sure which direction to go, so I went to Scripture. And I found Proverbs 4.23, which is already a special verse to me. In fact, it's, it's one you may already know. But in that proverb, it starts out, above all else. And when you just read those first three words, above all else, that immediately sets that, this is going to be important kind of mentality in your head. And, and the writer goes on to say, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do comes from it. And that's what I want to unpack this morning, this idea of guarding your heart. And I started to think about this. If this is something that's so critical to God, he says, above all else, I need to focus on this. I want to think about what he means. And, and you know, when I think about guard, I think about protection. I think about, you know, somebody standing guard over something. Um, depending on your background and, and what's familiar to you, you may have a different image of that. You know, whether you think of, you know, some knight in shining armor standing there with a, with a sword, whether you think of a, a Roman centurion, whether you think of someone dressed in camo with an Uzi, it, it all depends on your background. But, but picture somebody standing guard at your heart this little organ that we know is vital to keep us breathing and yet is vital for so many other reasons. God thinks it's so important to us that more than anything else, he wants us to keep this part of us protected. This verse alone says, because everything we do, everything we do, evangelism, worship, discipleship, fellowship, everything we do comes out of our heart. I started to look at other verses that talk about the heart, I mean, and, and there are just way too many to mention, but just hitting a few highlights. You know, we're supposed to love God with all of our hearts. We're supposed to love our neighbors like ourselves with our hearts. When our hearts are at rest, uh, Scripture tells us that we have peace. Um, it's from, from the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak. Even the things we say are sourced in our hearts. It, it connects us to wisdom. It's the part of us that keeps God's decrees. It's really easy to see when you start reading how scripture describes our hearts, why God considers it so important and why he would tell us to guard it. Now, the problem is when I start thinking about how important my heart is and all the things my heart is kind of responsible for, all the parts of my life that are, that are sourced in my heart, I realize I've done a crummy job of guarding it. I mean, too often I'm not at peace because my heart isn't at rest. The stuff that comes out of my mouth isn't something I'd want to share up here on, on some days, honestly. You know, and the, the attitudes, everything in my life, when, when I look at that and I think, wow, this is, some, this is some garbage stuff that's happened. These are things I'm struggling with. Trace it back. That means I'm having heart issues. I'm having heart problems. So I want to talk to this morning about how we can, how we can look at our heart, how, how it works from a, from a spiritual perspective, not the pumping and the blood and the blah, 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 but how our hearts work from a, from a spiritual perspective and what we can do to actually guard it, to do what God wants us to do so that we can live that life that reflects the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us. We believe the Holy Spirit is there. It's not just flowery words. It's not just poetry. We believe Christ resides in our hearts so how can we start reflecting that? How can we guard that and protect it? I've actually asked some volunteers to come up. I'm going to ask my first four to come up and just take a seat. And they're going to represent this, this kind of visual analogy. Because what I want to talk about this morning, or this, this word picture that I want you to get into your minds, um, actually one that's designed by a, a very precious friend of mine named Hal Perkins, is this idea that our hearts are like a round table. The round table of your heart. You've heard of the Knights of the Round Table, Yes. 
You're familiar with, with uh, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table? When, when he became king, didn't, wanna, didn't want to uh, set up this hierarchy where he was kind of lord over everything else. He knew he was. He didn't have to prove it. So instead of, of setting up the traditional rectangular table where he sat at the head, he designed a round table. And when his knights, his advisors, would come together for some kind of kingdom meeting, they would all swedge, pledge their allegiance. They'd take out their swords and lay them on the table, pledge their allegiance to King Arthur, and then they'd talk. And they'd bring their different input, you know, the guy who was concerned about the community, the other one who was concerned about kingdom expansion, the other one kingdom of defense. It starts to sound enough, a lot like our own cabinet, honestly. Uh, but they, they brought their own, their own uh, expertise to the table, and they all equally got to contribute their input. Ultimately, the decision laid on Arthur's head, but he wanted to hear from all of them. In the same way, we have a round table in our hearts. And you, I'm so glad you sat in this seat. You are the king of your own round table. Because ultimately, it is your will, we're going to call little king will, who gets to make the decisions in your heart. Okay, and just like King Arthur had a table full of advisors, your heart is full of advisors. You have your own various sources of input. And we're going to talk about those this morning. Now, the, the, there, are some, there are some things that, that, that are, well, well, the voices all have the same goal. They all want your life to thrive. Just like all the knights at Arthur's table, even though sometimes they argued till the, the sun set and then rose again, they all wanted the kingdom to succeed. None of them wanted to to be failures. Your heart wants your kingdom, your life, to be a success. And their role in their own mind is to guard and protect your life. The problem is, it it doesn't always work that way. And we're going to talk about a couple of those examples this morning. One One of the inputs, one of the advisors you have is your mind. Your mind is precious. I mean, your mind is a treasure. Uh, That's where your creativity is stored. Um, There is no better data processor yet invented. I don't care if if Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates had 75 babies. They'd never come up with with a child who could produce a better processor than your mind. The problem is, in your mind, when your mind comes to the round table, your mind brings so much information, it can be overwhelming. And your mind never stops talking. Have you noticed that? There's nothing you can do, which is why silence and solitude is so hard for us. There is nothing you can do to get your mind to shut up. Just going and going and going. And, and you know, something happens to you. You, you encounter an experience. You have a conversation someone, with someone. Or uh, there, an, an issue happens at work. Your, your spouse, your friend, your child says something to you. And all of a sudden, in your heart, the, the, the committee convenes and your mind starts going, well, now, what do you think he meant by that? Well, you know, he said it with this tone and with this attitude. And you remember last week when he said this? And three years ago, he said that. So it could very well mean he meant going and going and going trying to influence your will on how to respond, how to act in this situation. Mind gets control of you. Mind, mind kind of tries to, to manipulate you through reason. Our minds say to us all the time, now doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that seem right? Doesn't that seem logical? And oftentimes our will caves into that because it does make sense. It does seem logical. It does seem reasonable to respond in this way to this situation. That's not always what God wants us to do, though. Now, sitting next to mind, we have emotion. 
Again, another absolute jewel. I mean, emotion, that's where your, that's where your joy is. That's where your, that, that, that sweet marrow of life is found in your emotion. Your emotion is, is the one that, that makes it so much fun to be alive. But the problem with the voice of emotion is the voice of emotion has two extremes, silent and blah! Something happens and your emotion just explodes. This same circumstance happens and mind whispers to emotion and emotion goes, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is just horrible. What if he hates me? What if he doesn't like me? What if he's mad at me? Or change the situation. Think teenager in love. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh my, okay. You've been there. I mean, I know this. I'm not the only person who goes through this. And, and emotion just reacts to such extremes. And that's how your emotions influence your will because everything is so intense. It's either horrible and, and, and has to be dealt with immediately or it's so phenomenal and it's just the greatest thing in the world, but it's those intensities that your emotions bring to the party that influence your will and, and cause us to respond in ways, again, that don't reflect the God that we love, that don't reflect the scriptures that, that, that we want to adhere to. It's that sense of alarm, that urgency that, that manipulates our will. Now, next to emotion are your desires. You know what? I don't have enough chairs up here. Rats. I need one more person to come up and sit on the end, please. Next to your emotion are your desires. Your desires are, uh, they sound like they're like emotion, but they're not. Um, desires are in part um, like self-preservation. I mean, your desires are what keep you alive. Your desire for food, your desire for sleep, it's your desires that keep the species going. Um, desires are very important, but desire at its base level, I mean, what desire says is I want, I want, I want. Desire is a toddler. Um, desire says, I want that. I want that. I want that. And I want it now. You know, JG Wentworth, I want it now. I want this and that and that and this. And desire gets together with mind and mind says, oh yes, it's very reasonable that you should want that. Absolutely. This makes total and complete sense. Part of the problem with desire is when desire talks to your mind, desire usually doesn't actually say, I want. What he says is, I need. I need that. Fill in the blank. I need that piece of cake, new car, new phone, uh, new relationship. I need that. You need that. And let's face it, we, we, we like those things that we think we need. But a lot of us, especially in this day and age, are, are in such deep financial holes because desire has actually been running the party instead of our minds. That's, that's part of the source of a lot of the financial ease that our country is going through. Last seat, the seat we had to add. This is a busy seat. This is a full seat. This is the seat of others. The voice of external input. And my goodness, is this a crowded seat. When you were little, there was one, two people who sat in that seat, your parents. But as you grew, you started listening to more and more input. Not just mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. And then there's the brother or the sister. Then you got into school and there was the bestie and what the bestie has to say. And, and your teachers and your other friends and your friends' friends. And now we're, we're involved in media and what the newscaster has to say and what this movie tells me in this book and that magazine and world leaders. And I mean, it's Sybil sitting in that seat. It is a busy, jam-packed seat full of input. And in in thinking about this, it gets really easy to say it's got to be an inconsequential seat. 
But y'all know this from your own experience and from watching others. The, the voice of that other's seat has a huge impact in the decisions we make. Whether you want to call it peer pressure, um, giving in to mom and dad, you know, when we are at a loss and mind and emotion and desire are just all mixed up and we can't make up our mind, what do we do? We pick up the phone and we call somebody else. We look for external information. And yes, some of the people sitting in that seat are, are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your small group. They're your pastor. And that's awesome. But that's not the only source we have for external information. And the truth of the matter is, just because it's a, it's a godly voice speaking into us doesn't necessarily mean it's the voice of God speaking to us. Even godly people can make mistakes. The voice of, of others exerts its authority over our will by that, that voice of authority. I'm looking for an expert. I'm looking for someone who knows more about this than I do. And it's in all these different ways that our, that our advisors input our heart, input our decision-making, our will. And as much as we want to lead a God-honored life, or, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's before we even met Jesus, we realize our life is spinning out of control. These advisors who want to do so much, they want us to be successful. They want our life to be awesome. And we wake up and look and realize that truly it's just kind of a mess. We don't respond well to anything. The overflow of, of our hearts isn't producing love or compassion. We certainly don't have any peace. We're not able to do any one thing with our hearts, much less love God with all of it. We realize that our hearts, because they have been unguarded, really are in a state of disarray. And we need to do something about it. We get that ache to change it. And that's what happens. In fact, my guess is that's what's happened for for most, if not all of you, in this situation. Your advisors came together and said, we need to change the deal. Um, Ezekiel 11.19 says, I will give them an undivided heart. And put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's what I want. I read that. I will give them an undivided heart. I love it when I can spend a day and know that my heart is completely unified. That there isn't any disagreement inside of me. There's no discord. There's no tension. That what I want, what I think, what I feel all line up together. Aren't those moments sweet and incredibly too few and far between? But God wants to do that. God wants to give us a unified heart. So what we do, what happens in our heart, or the, the advisors in our heart to get together and they say, you know what, little King Will, you know, you've done as good a job as you possibly can, but we want to bring in a new king. There's this king we've heard about who's doing revolutionary things in hearts across the world, and we'd like him to come and be our king. And we invite Jesus to come in and sit at the round table and be our king. Now, our instinct then, because we've heard of all the great things Jesus can do, in fact, we've seen it in a lot of other lives, we've read about it, Jesus is going to come in and be Lord of my heart. Yes, I get to abdicate authority. I'm going to give it to Jesus. Jesus is going to be the boss of my life. And you know what Jesus says? No. Jesus says, I don't need your crown. I don't need you to make me king. I am the king, is what Jesus says. I don't need you to make me the king. But when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't come in as a king. He comes in as a servant. 
He looks at, at, at your will and says, I don't want to replace you. I don't want to usurp your will. I created your will. I've given you the decision-making power. You get to keep the decision-making power, but I'm going to sit here as an advisor as long as you let me and serve you. I'm also not going to replace your other voices because, again, I've created them too. I gave you your mind. I gave you your emotions, your desires. I even gave you other people to speak into your life. What Jesus' desire for us is to be an advisor who has the final say. He doesn't want to replace these voices. He doesn't want to want to silence them. He wants to help them relearn how to be the tools that God has designed us to be. He's here to serve. And this, for me, has been the revolutionary aha moment because too often in my life, it's been Jesus come in and take over. You know, there's that song, Jesus take the wheel. That's not how Jesus operates. He never comes in and forces his will on us. He gives us input. The Holy Spirit is there to coach us, to direct us. But it's our will, ultimately, that has to listen to Jesus. So we need to learn how to make Jesus the guard. That's exactly who he's designed to be. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. That's who Jesus is designed to be. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. We need to look at Christ as the source of help for everything we do. It comes out of our hearts, and Jesus, that's why that becomes his base of operation. Everything else comes out of our hearts, so that's where Jesus stations himself, but we have to use him, we have to make him that shield so that he can protect us, so that he can guide us to help our kingdom be the most successful. Not just our individual kingdoms, not just our individual lives, but with Jesus standing guard, our kingdom gets to impact the greater kingdom. And now we've got a role in God's plan when we surrender all to Jesus. What we do is we start using the words in Psalm 26 to test me, Lord, and try me. That kind of becomes our mantra. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I know this kind of sounds great in theory and, and, you know, okay, great. So I've got these pseudo people sitting in my heart, but I don't know how this really works. Jesus comes in. I'm supposed to look to Jesus as my advisor. What do I do in this situation? Do you, do you do exactly this? You get in this situation where somebody says something to you and your mind starts going, well, this, well, that, well, that, and, and does it mean this and does it mean that? And I think, and this makes sense. And you turn to your mind and you say, mind, shh. I know it's hard, but you, you say, mind, shh. You quiet your thoughts. And then you do what Paul calls taking your thoughts captive. This is not, again, this isn't just poetry. Paul means it. When your brain starts going and thinking different things, you take that thought captive. You hold on to it. Slow your mind down. Stop it. Your mind is convincing you that this person must be mad at you because of what they say. You say, stop. Let me think about this. Jesus, is this thought your thought? This is what my mind is telling me, Jesus. Is this truth? Is this reality? And friends, I'm here to tell you, he will let you know. Jesus will come through the power that he has by that infilling in us and direct us. Yes, this is truth. What you're thinking is real. That is really what's going on. Or he'll say, no, that's not truth. 
I can tell you, I, I hope I can tell you, I hope I have permission to do this. Um, I use that particular practice more often with my husband than I do with anybody else. You know, I asked him to do that and he didn't do that. Once again, he's not listening to me. I mean, I tell you, I can talk for 20 minutes and he'll go in one ear and out the other. He just really doesn't care. And my mind, do, 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 do. But when I can capture that thought and take it to Jesus, Jesus is very quick to say, girl, you are so off base. That is not at all what your husband meant by that. Think about it. He was trying to be helpful. And Jesus has stopped more spousal spats by the ability for me to do that. And when I don't do that, guess what happens? Mm, failure, big time on my part. Jesus is faithful and he will talk to us. When, when we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not our own understanding, he's the one who directs our paths. He will, he's the one who brings blessings into our lives. But we have to take those thoughts and bring them to Jesus. Is this real? And Jesus will let us know. Same thing with emotion. Emotion starts screaming, blah, 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 blah. Shh. Perfect time to exercise Psalm 4610. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Shh. And we got to take that emotion to Jesus. First, sometimes we got to take it to mind. Okay, I'm feeling frustrated here. Or I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling panicky. Why? Why am I angry? That person said something and it just lit a fire in me. Stop and think about it for a second. Why does that make me so upset? Oh, because it triggers that or it makes me remember this situation or it makes me think about this. You think about it and then same thing, you bring it to Jesus. Jesus, is this truth? Is this really what's going on? Is this emotion real or is it me just kind of being all panicky and flying off the handle? And the Holy Spirit is faithful and will direct that. Next time your desire starts speaking to you, you need, you need, you need, you need. Absolutely, without doubt, you need it, and you need it today. Jesus, is this desire your desire? Or is this just my desire? And my guess is you've heard testimony, you've heard people share of the times, even though it was something they really did need. Because Jesus was able to say, that's not my desire for you right now. They waited, and, and God was able to pour incredible blessings. You've heard testimony, I'm sure. I, I, I wish I'd pulled some off the internet of, you know, people who needed a car, and Jesus told them to wait, and somebody, guess what, gave them a car. I, I've got a good friend who had that with a computer. Their computer with a crashed, abysmal, fiery mess. Um, really needed one. Jesus said wait, and they had to wait two months, but somebody was able to give them a brand new computer, something more than they'd ever have been able to afford to buy. We bring our desires to Jesus, and when we can do it, when we have that surrender, when we have that full submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Jesus directs us, and he makes sure we have our daily bread. He makes sure we have exactly what we need. The voice of others. Sometimes, again, this can be one of the harder ones to do. You know, as, as helpful as the voice of others are, they can be very influential. It's hard to say no when mom says go. But as, as awesome as mom is, as incredibly wise as the BFF might be, they're not Jesus. Now, the cool thing is, when, whenever you, you interact with someone, they bring their own hearts into your life. So anytime you're in relationship with someone and, and they become an advisor in your life, they're also bringing their own table. And if their own table has Jesus at it, you get a double dose of Christ inputting into your heart. And that's super cool. But you've got to realize not everybody has Jesus sitting at the table yet. Not everybody is listening to Jesus if he is sitting at the table. 
So we've really got to filter things. Even godly people, we've got to filter through Jesus who has his own personal relationship with us. Do not let your pastor or your small group leader be the Jesus in your life. They are wonderful godly people. They are not God. We've got to have our own personal relationship with Jesus and let him influence us directly. We've got to be real and, and, and truly consider what Paul says. Am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? Ultimately, ultimately, we've got to make God the top priority in our lives. <coughs> this can be a laborious process. I mean, it's a wonderful visual aid to think about Jesus sitting in our hearts and me going, Jesus, is this really real? But it takes time to do that. It takes time to think about what we're thinking, to think about what we're feeling. It takes time to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this real? Is this truth? Are these feelings real? Are these desires your desires? We're used to just responding. It takes time to do that. But think about the end result. What would a guarded heart, a heart fully protected and covered by the shield of Christ, what could that mean literally in your life? If you stopped having a divided heart, if you stopped having a a heart where your mind was trying to pull you one direction, your emotions are freaking out, your desires are just infiltrating and, and pouring themselves and the voices of others, if your heart was unified, wow, how could that change your life? How could that change the dynamics of one of your relationships that you're in right now? If your mind wasn't trying to undermine everything, if your emotions weren't flying off the handle, how could that influence your ability to to achieve some of the goals that you've set for yourself? If you weren't worried about competing with desires or what other people had to say about your goals and how your goals were doing, what would it do with your influence in the kingdom? If you knew that your heart was fully surrendered, fully protected, not by your own devices, not by your own will trying to guess and get it right, but fully protected by Christ, directed by God's will, directed by the Holy Spirit, everything else would just kind of fall into place. I mean, when my heart is protected by Jesus, I don't have to worry about that other stuff. I don't have to to force myself to, to share my story. I don't have to force myself to serve because Jesus is the one directing it all. Everything else flows out of our hearts, flow from a heart that's been protected, guarded, and equipped by the Holy Spirit, the voice of God literally living inside of us. That's the heart I want. That's the heart I want, not just for a little bit of time, not just for an hour on Wednesday afternoon when I'm thinking about it, but I want that heart 24-7. I want the changes in my life that that kind of heart is going to bring about. Above all else, God tells us, we need to guard our hearts and make sure they are in line 100% behind Jesus and what he wants to do. So this morning, we've got to ask ourselves, first of all, is Jesus my king? Not just kind of, not just sort of. Is he truly the Lord of my life? And if he is, if he's sitting sitting at my table, am I actually treating him that way? I mean, have I just put a pretty hat on him and made him my king? 
Or am I really treating him like the one who directs me, the one who guides my life, the one who helps me make every single decision? Am I fully surrendered? If ever there was a voice that we could trust, it's the voice of the one who loves you more than anything. The voice of the one who created you, who designed your purpose. The voice of the one who gave his life for you. No other voice is going to give you that kind of direction like the voice of Christ. That's the voice we want to be sold out to. That's the voice we want to be surrendered to. Everything else will flow from that. Would you pray with me, please, friends? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning. We thank you for the gift that is your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that in that gift of Christ, that gift of the one who came and lived and died for us, you didn't leave it at that, but you sent another. Jesus left and he promised that after he left, he would send another, he'd send a counselor. And you've given us that Holy Spirit, God, in us. You've given a part of yourself to each one of us, living literally inside of us, God, in our hearts. You have a passion, God, to help us live the life you've designed us to live, but too many of us, Lord, are still trying to do it on our own. We're trying to study about you, trying to to memorize who you are and guess at what you want us to do. God, that's how I live too much of my life, even now. But you've given me the tools. You've given us the tool of your actual presence so that I don't have to guess. I just have to listen. Lord, this morning, we want to surrender all of our decisions to you. We don't just want your presence. We want your sovereignty, God. We want your voice in our hearts to direct us and lead us. Jesus, help us as we take these steps, as we bring our mind, our thoughts to you. Help us to see what's truth and what's not. Lord, the next time our emotions spring out of control, help us to to silence that, to to take a, a second of quiet time and to bring those feelings to you so that you can tell us what's real and what's not. Help us keep our desires in check, Lord, so that we don't get run by our own wants, but we can be run truly by your plan and purpose for us. When others speak into our lives, God, we never want their voices to be louder than yours. Help us always to turn to you last, Jesus, as the ultimate voice of authority in our lives. Heavenly Father, there's so much we want to do for you. There's so many ways we want to influence your kingdom, not just by counting ourselves as another head, another name in the long list. God, we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference here. Help us start that process by bringing our hearts fully under your protection, by keeping them guarded by your shield, the shield that is your Holy Spirit. Everything else we do, God, you promise, will flow out of that decision. 
we turn to you and look to you for that success. A success we know will have kingdom difference. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you that in your greatness and your might, you have chosen to make our lives the place of your seat of power. We surrender fully to you, Jesus, this morning. We praise you and we thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.